said? Amen. Amen. Give the Lord one more good hand now. He's worthy of praise. And how about an air hug for the preacher before you sit down here? God bless you. Great to, great to have you. Great to have you. Well, if you've got your Bibles, turn with me. Proverbs 22 and James chapter 4. It's great to see you as you're making your way there. Um, we've got more room, of course, Saturday night. If you need a little more social distancing room, Saturday night has more room as well as a Sunday first service. And if you're uncomfortable at all, we have overflow in the cafe. But uh, I want to encourage you, if you have not yet signed up uh, for the census, I want to encourage you to do that. They're in the lobby today, actually. Super easy. I did it online. Just three or four questions. They don't care about where your shop groceries and where your favorite hamburger place is. They just want some basic info because it really helps as money's allocated to our community. So I, I hope you'll do that for the benefit of all. We are doing a series from the book of James. It's called A Word to the Wise. This series is, uh, I'm on number eight today. We've been doing a verse by verse. Today we'll look at about five verses. Um, and James is like Proverbs. Proverbs is known for wisdom. Wisdom is simply the ability to make right choices, good choices, so we'll have a happy and a better life. But um, uh, James, this word to the wise, I, I, I've had a, an intent in this series, and it's to encourage all of us to make our decisions in life based on the Bible. Don't just see the Bible as a history book. Don't just see the Bible as an ancient text. But see the Bible as it is, as it declares the Word of God. And if we apply it in our lives, if we put it to practice, uh, our lives just go better. I mean, that's just a fact. Our marriage, our kids, our businesses. And, uh, but anyway, I want to draw a little parallel from Proverbs with a little funny illustration. Proverbs 22 Again, akin to James, James was written by uh, the brother of Jesus, but it's called the gospel in shoe leather because it's so practical. But a proverb says this, 22.3, it says, a wise person foresees danger and takes precautions, but the simpleton or foolish person goes blindly on and suffers the consequences. In other words, a wise person will look ahead and they will do what's necessary to, to protect themselves. Now, let me illustrate this with a little, uh, you remember COVID, when COVID first came out? You remember there were toilet paper shortages everywhere? You remember getting food, and, and when the postman came, they told you you had to wipe the package off from this, you know, the, and all that. Well, I went to Mississippi this past week. Uh, uh, my family lives there, and my dad and brother farm, and uh, so I love to go and hang out with them in the spring and the fall. And uh, I went to my favorite barbecue joint in Sinatobia. It's called Coleman's Barbecue. And I saw this little machine there, and it's, as you can see, upper left-hand corner, it's a claw machine. That's what your kids beg for when they go to Albertsons or the grocery store. You know, give me a quarter, Dad, give me 50 cents. Well, now they had toilet paper in here. And the toilet paper related to our proverb would be this. The wise person sees the evil that's coming and buys big, sack, big bags of toilet paper at Sam's, but the simple person has to go to the barbecue place and get it roll by roll. Would that be a fair, <laughs> a fair proverb? Well, it's a little funny, but you know it's true. And I would say this to you too. My wife have decided we're going to be a little more prepared about life because you just don't know what's coming. There are a lot of people that are, have declared violence if the election doesn't go their way. Who knows what could happen in America? You know, COVID could come back in the wintertime. We don't know, but we've decided to be a little more prepared in life in terms of, 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 of having a little extra in the pantry for the essentials, and I think that is a wise thing to do. And somebody said? 
Well, last time we talked from chapter 4 about slander, which is speaking negative words about people and judging people. And we also talked about the shortness and uncertainty of life. And that's where I want to begin today. James chapter 4, verse 13. uh, And he's talking to a Christian business person because the book of James is not written to the general public. The book of James is written to Christians, Jews in particular, that were dispersed throughout the Roman Empire. And I draw attention to this because here James talks to the business person. And what we're going to look at today in our text, it's also to the business person making money. But look what James says. He said, listen, you who say today or tomorrow, we're going to go to this city or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. In other words, it's just like you and I. We're planning that tomorrow is going to be just like today. And look at verse 14. You don't even know what will happen tomorrow. Because what is your life? Your life is like a mist. It's a puff of smoke. It's like the morning fog. It appears a little while and it vanishes. Instead, in recognition that your life is in God's hands, you ought to say, say it with me, if it's the Lord's will. Lord willing, we're going to do this and do that. Well, that was last week. Now, what would I want to look at this week, and it's in the context, and the basic premise of today's message is this. Foolish people have a self-centered view of money and possessions. But wise people have a God-centered view of money and possessions. And this scripture is basically going to support this view. Now, James, as we said, just talked to the business person going out to make money. He said, look, you don't know how long your life is going to last. And now he's going to talk to business people again. This will be the third time that James has talked about the corrupting power of riches. Now, I'm going to do my best to give you a balanced view because material things are not wrong. Money is not wrong. The Bible says, actually, it's the blessing of the Lord that makes rich and adds no sorrow to it. But, But money has the potential to turn your heart from God. And that's what James will will bring to our attention today. In particular, as we read these five verses, I, I want you to listen intently to pick up the four things that James says we want to be mindful of. Because my hope for myself and my hope for you is that in our future, we'll enjoy God's blessing in our life. We'll enjoy in our jobs that God will prosper us, that God will bless us. But also that God's blessing won't turn into a curse because we've somehow been corrupted by what money can do. So let's look. James chapter 5, verse 1, he says, Now listen, you rich people, <laughs> weep and wail, burst into tears because of the misery that's coming upon you. Now that strikes me kind of odd. Uh, I would kind of think that when he was talking about uh, uh, money, if you get rich, I mean, all your problems are supposed to be solved. Anybody like to be rich? Wave your hand at me. You bunch of liars out there, every person in this room. Come on. I mean, I'm, uh, I don't know if you're like me. I would bet you are. I would bet that you have plans, if you won the lottery, what you'd do with that money. How many do? Come on now. Let me see your hand. Yeah, now you're being honest. Now, how many play the lottery? See, you knew that one was coming next. You know, the Bible says if you win in gambling, it's 90% on, on, on the tide, not 10. It's a Bible verse somewhere. I'm not sure what book. I think it's maybe in, 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 in the book of Maccabees, but, but uh, no, I'm just, I, I'm just teasing. But, but I want to focus just a second when it says, listen, you rich people, and ask this question, who's rich? Do you know... 700 million people live on $2 a day. That's a tenth of the world. 
That's twice as many people live in America, $2 a day. 50% of the world, that's 3 billion people, live on $10 a day. $10 is two trips to Starbucks. We don't need to feel bad because we live in a prosperous nation, but my hope today is that we are responsible with what God entrusts to us. So why I uh, lingered on that point is I want you to see yourself as I see myself as rich. Because usually when we think of someone who's rich, we think of somebody who has more than we do. But I don't you think that way. I want, I want us to think about the blessed state that we live in here in America. But here's what he says. He says, your wealth is rotted. Now, mind you, they, in their day, in an agrarian society, you know, they didn't, they, they didn't store up wealth in, in mutual funds. They stored up wealth in, in, in possessions and commodities. Your wealth is rotted. Moths have eaten your clothes and gold and silver are corroded. He said, this corrosion will testify against you. This is, it will eat your flesh like fire. There's a sense of judgment here. Now, I want you to listen why, and I want you to, let's pick up the four things. We're going to hit on them now, and then we're going to go into them a little bit deeper. Number one, you have hoarded wealth in the last days. We're going to talk about the difference between saving and hoarding. Verse four, interesting, the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cry of the harvester has reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. Number three, you've lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. Now, that's a toughie for me. We're going to explore that and see how it's okay to enjoy God's blessings in our life, but we can cross the line and, uh, and, and get in trouble. Uh, you fatten yourself in the day of slaughter. Uh, and number six is very troubling. James says, you've even condemned and murdered the innocent one who is not opposing you. In other words, their pursuit of money, their greed, drove them even to, uh, uh, to murder someone so they could get their property or the land or whatever. So we're going to explore all that in the negative sense. But I, I want to present a balance just a moment because, again, riches and possessions are not bad. It's what we do with him. And I want to read you a scripture, Deuteronomy chapter 8. It says, remember the Lord your God, say this with me, for it is he who gives you the power to get wealth. How many say, Lord, I'd like some of that power? Sure, every one of us in this room. And that's my prayer for, for myself. It's my prayer for you. You know, the other day I get a, I get a, a, call, a call when I'm in Mississippi from my daughter, and she was going to work, and uh, she said, uh, Dad, I, I had a car wreck. Of course, first question, are you okay? And once you know you're okay, the second thing is, what kind of condition is the car in? And uh, it looked like the car was going to have to be totaled, and I was thinking, oh gosh, you know, well, what am I going to do? But you know what? There's in the heart of every dad, so honey, it's okay, we'll just get you a new car. Now, doesn't every dad have that in his heart? Absolutely. You, whether you get them a new one or use them, but you want to bless your children. It's a natural, normal thing. But praise the Lord, they could fix it. So it's, it's deductible time. And now my battle is how much to make her pay. Just kidding. Sort of. No, I'm kidding. I hope you're watching online, honey. <laughs> no, we do want to welcome all the people that are watching online, though. But anyway, God-given wealth can bring tremendous benefit to ourselves 
to people in need in God's kingdom uh, if we use it properly. But if we don't use it properly, it'll destroy us. And this is what James focused on. James has a hint of 1 Timothy chapter 6. Uh, 1 Timothy 6 says it is the love of love of money, not money, but the love of money. It's a root of all kinds of evil. Uh, how many know the Bible says we're supposed to love God with what? All our, yeah, all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. But here, it's like money has taken the place of God. God wants to be here, but the love of money has pushed us there. And that's where the trouble is. Because listen to what can happen. If you crave money, many people have wandered from the true faith and pierce themselves through with many sorrows. In other words, money can pull you away from God. And this is what I want to help you with today. Because James wrote to Christian people, and he wrote to them about hoarding, about greed, and about self-indulgence. So I want to unpack this a little bit for you now and understand those three topics. Um, And again, our premise, the problem of the rich in James was they had a self-centered view of money and possessions instead of a God-centered view. And I want to illustrate this with a video. How many have seen the movie God's Not Dead? Oh, it's a great movie. I, I watch it every couple months. It inspires me. But I want to show you a, a, a little video, and it's about a mother and her son. The mother's in a retirement home, and she has dementia. And the son is wildly successful. As I recall, he's in some kind of investment business. He drives a, you know, whatever, fancy car. Everything is great in his life. And I want you to, he's in her room making a visit now. And I want you to think about the difference between the two people. I don't even know what I'm doing here. I mean, it's not like you even know who I am. You prayed and believed your whole life. Never done anything wrong. And here you are. You're the nicest person I know. I am the meanest. You have dementia. My life is perfect. Explain that to me. Sometimes the devil allows people to live a life free of trouble because he doesn't want them turning to God. Their sin is like a jail cell except it's all nice and comfy and there doesn't seem to be any need to leave. The door is wide open. So one day, time runs out. The cell door slams shut. And suddenly, it's too late. Who did you say you were? Well, that's sobering. 
let's look at James now and avoid those lessons that this guy obviously uh, did not. The first thing James says, you remember he talked about you've hoarded wealth in the last days. Uh, hoarding, and here we're looking at hoarding as opposed to sharing. Uh, the definition of hoard, it means to store up treasure for yourself. But the context of selfish indulgence implies more than savings, a reasonable savings, but again, a self-centered view of money and possessions, which simply means whether I'm 18 or 48, I spend everything I have on myself. Now, Jesus told us a story about this, and Jesus said in Luke 12, Jesus said, beware, guard against every kind of greed. And greed is that which says, there's never enough. There's never enough. I, I want more. And Jesus said, probably the most profound thing that will be mentioned from the pulpit today, life is not measured by how much you own. Now, your, life, you're not, your value is not determined by your net worth. And he told a story. He said, a rich man had a fertile field that produced fine crops. The application today may not be a farmer, but your business may be skyrocketing, going through the roof. Uh, you might have gotten a, a big bonus at work. You might have been salesman of the month, and uh, now they're going to reward you with, a, you know, whatever, a trip or a car. But uh, he said, verse 17, which is a profound question that revealed his heart. He said, what should I do? And I want you to think now how there's no thought of God, no prayer, just about himself. What should I do? Because I don't have room for all my crops. Now, now, now listen to what he says about I. I know I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and then I will have enough room to store all my wheat and other goods, and I will sit back and say to myself, my friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Take it easy, brother. Eat, drink, and be merry. Nine times is all about him. But God said to him something different. God said, you're a fool. You're going to die this very night. And then who's going to get everything you worked for? Well, I can answer that. The guy that marries your wife. <laughs> Few true words have ever been spoken from the church house. Verse 21, yes, a person is a fool to store up uh, earthly wealth, but listen, not have a rich relationship with God. Now, notice, he didn't say you're a fool if you have worldly wealth. Worldly wealth and God are not mutually exclusive. It's just that God wants to be first, not worldly wealth. And this is the challenge. If God can be first in our life, we can receive his blessings, enjoy what he's given us, and be a blessing to others at the same time. But if we do like that guy in that movie did, it's all about me. Uh, mature Christians, not only do we save, saving is different from hoarding, I'll talk more in a moment, but we practice giving and sharing with others, not just hoarding for ourselves. Let's look at the second thing James said. Remember when James says, the wages you failed to pay the workers? Now, what this means is our application is failing to pay what we owe other people. Uh, there's a, a passage in Prov uh, Deuteronomy about this, Old Testament. It says, never take advantage of poor laborers. You must pay their wages each day because they're poor and counting on it. Now, I can't relate to that. Uh, I had a wonderful time with my dad. My dad uh, is turning 83 on the 4th, which is, I guess, today or tomorrow, turning 83. And he's still driving the tractor, playing golf. Had a wonderful, wonderful time with dad. 
And we were just talking, and just kind of out of the blue, Dad said, uh, you, you and your brother and sister have never known a day of lack in your life. He was raised in a depression, the Depression era, and he was calling the fact that Americans today, we have opulence everywhere, and we don't know that, we don't understand it. But, but I understood this when I went to Mexico several years ago, again, about paying the wages to the poor. We went to Mexico, we were building a church and uh, we try to practice this as a church. It's not just us asking you to give so we can do what we do. Uh, we give as a church. Last year, we gave, uh, invested almost, a little over $700,000 in evangelism, missions, community outreaches outside the walls of the church. Uh, no salaries, no overhead, none of that. Just, just giving and helping people you know, through, through, uh, through what we've been entrusted with. But in Mexico, we were building this church, and we were there four or five days. And, and every night, this gal, this woman, she was obviously a mom, she would come uh, about, about getting towards dusk, and she would come with a little bag, and she would go to their store. Now, their store was not a Walmart. It was like, if you can imagine, six uh, chairs on the row there. It was a little area inside of a house about that big that had basic necessities. And she would buy her. I watched her. I watched her buy tortillas. And rice and beans, a little thing of tortillas, a little bag of rice, a little bag of beans. And I asked uh, uh, Pastor Larry about it, and, and he said, well, her husband, uh, probably, they've got a bunch of kids, she doesn't work, and her husband worked all day, brought his money home, and she went to buy food. So that's, that's what was happening here in Deuteronomy. But the application for us uh, is that, is that uh, we should be careful when we have this tendency maybe we to don't to, not to pay what we owe other people, when we avoid our creditors, when we use legal loopholes to avoid uh, uh, paying, uh, taking advantage of a poor person. Uh, let's say you know an immigrant and uh, they don't have their green card, they don't have papers, they're here illegally, they're very afraid of ICE, and uh, you need some work done, and you say, hey, I'll pay you $3 an hour and won't tell ICE. You'll be safe here, okay? Well, you're, you're doing just what James says. How many know if that guy earned, is a day laborer and $10 an hour is a fair wage, how many know it shouldn't make a difference because he's an immigrant? So this is, you're not saying much to me this morning. But these are, these are things that we, we struggle with that, that, that cause us to fall away from this God's purpose for money. But look at number three. Now, I don't think what I just said has anything to do with trying to negotiate a better price. You know, uh, you know when you're settling for a contract, somebody's going to build a house for you. You know, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's an appropriate thing to be a good steward and not let somebody take advantage of you. But what we're talking about is taking advantage of people that we legitimately owe. Now, let's look at the third J things James says. And this is the one that troubles me the most from my own personal life. James said, you've lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. Now, self-indulgence, it means excessive or unrestrained. And that's the key words excessive or unrestrained gratification of your own appetites, desires, and whims. Luxury is not a bad thing. Come on now. Driving a nicer car is better than driving a beat-up car. Anybody said? Listen, God's happy if you're able to drive a nicer car. God's happy if you're able to live in a nicer house rather than a house that the roof is leaking. I mean, I mean luxury, uh, uh, enjoyment of these things in life, being able to buy a nice pair of shoes, 
Being able to buy your, you know, if, you're, if you're, your kid says, Daddy, everybody wears, you know, whatever, and, and you know, I want to fit in, can I have one? Well, when I was a boy, I wasn't like that. I didn't let people pressure me, and I buy my blue jeans from Sam's, honey. Everybody wants to buy the little girl, come on, the blue jeans that have the holes in them. I mean, I don't know why. What marketing person invented that? Listen, you and I could become wealthy. We could go and buy jeans at Sam's, pour some Clorox on them, time behind the truck, drive them around town for two or three hours, and then sell them for twice as much, and we could be rich. I don't know where that came from. But, but what, what, the, what James is talking about is the excessive and unrestrained gratification. And, th- and this is where I don't, and i got to be honest with you, in my own life, I don't know where to draw the line. How many pairs of shoes are enough in my closet? Dillard's had a sale. And it was not the 50% off sale. It was the 40% after sale for preferred Dillard's customers. And naturally, being a preferred Dillard's customer, when I saw that, my first thought was, I feel the Lord leading me to go to Dillard's this afternoon. But I got to scratch in my head, and I said, I looked in my closet. I have about eight shirts of this color that I like, and I got four or five of that color that I like, and I'm still the same size, and I thought, what am I going to do? I've already got 11. Why do I need 12? Just a little thought there, but it's, I don't at all presume to tell you how big a house to live in or what kind of car or truck to drive. You need to pray and ask God. And my personal advice to you, anytime Lynette and I make any kind of big decision in our life that affects our finances, we pray and we try to go with God's peace. And when God blesses us to be able to do it, well, praise the Lord, we do it. But let's look at Luke chapter 16. Uh, Jesus talked about this. Jesus said there was a certain rich man who was splendidly clothed and he lived each day in luxury. Now here's what I want to tell you. Luxury is not a sin. But luxury is a sin if you ignore everybody else, and spend it all on yourself. Again, this is the message today. God's blessing is a good thing. But if I use it all for myself, I cross the line. And I don't care if you're 22 years old and and don't have anything, or you're 62 and have everything. It's the same principle. Jesus said, uh, okay, verse 20, At the gate of this rich man lay a poor man named Lazarus covered with sores. Lazarus lay there longing for scraps from the rich man's table. Lazarus would have thought he had died and gone to heaven if he ate from our garbage disposal. I mean, he was, he was, you think if you can remember of Sister Teresa on the streets of Calcutta. I'm, I'm talking about the poor of the poor. Dogs would come and lick his open sores. I got more medicine in my medicine cabinet to save myself a trip to the doctor if I had an open sore. He didn't have anything. The poor man died, like you're going to die and I'm going to die. He was carried by the angels to sit beside Abraham at the heavenly banquet. Some translations say he went to Abraham's bosom. This was a, a literal place called paradise. It's where people who believed in God, followed God, had faith that before the resurrection of Christ, they went to paradise before they died, uh, and, and that's where they were, and he saw Abraham there. And what I want you to see 
there is a, a train of thought in, in, in secular uh, anti-religious philosophy that says when you die, you cease to exist. You're just like anything, you know, like you cut a tree down, it's dead. It's go- You're not gone. After death, you have consciousness. After death, you're aware of personhood. And there's a real place called heaven and a real place called hell. The rich man died and he was buried and he went to the place of the dead. Now, this is called Hades. This place is still there. It's not hell, but it's where the dead are going to be released on the great day of judgment, and then hell comes up. But what I want you to see, it's torment there. You don't hear that talked about from America's pulpits today. But the Bible speaks of heaven, and it speaks of hell. And he didn't go to hell because he was rich. He went to hell because he didn't believe in Christ, because he didn't know God, he didn't follow God, as evidenced by caring for the poor and needy. The rich man shouted, Father Abraham, have some pity. Send Lazarus over here to dip his finger in water and cool my tongue. I'm in anguish in these flames. Abraham said to him, son, remember during your lifetime you had everything you wanted. Now, let me go ahead and tell you this right now. You'll never have everything you want. Ever. You say, yes, I will. If I had a thousand acres of land... And my perfect little house there, and my husband had his truck, and I had my little whatever, then it's perfect. Until you realize you need a tractor. And you go out and buy a tractor. And you didn't know much about tractors, but you got yourself a little bush hog. And the only problem, 1,000 acres is bigger than you thought. And it's going to take you two weeks to do all that bush hogging. And you didn't want to sit on that bush hog. So then you had to go get a bigger tractor so that it would carry a bush hog with fold out wings so you could cut your time in half to be a better steward so you could spend time with your family, which was a good thing. And once you did that, you thought life was great until you got your first tax bill and you realize I have to do something to show that this is agriculture to save my taxes, so I'm going to buy cows. And the problem when you buy your cows, you have to put a big fence around that place. And you're thinking there when you're buying your fence, why do I want to just buy a cow- fence for cows? I'm going to put up a nine-foot game fence so I can keep my trophy deer and keep my turkeys inside my game fence so I can enjoy my life. The only problem is it's five times as much, but it doesn't matter because I need it. Now, don't get me wrong now. None of this is wrong. I know Christian people that have all these things and have built literally hundreds of churches and orphanages in the impoverished places of America. But you've got your big fence built now, and now the problem is you've got your cows, but you never knew how much trouble it was to keep track of a hundred cows. So now you have to hire somebody. And you have to hire somebody, and they obviously have to have a place to live, so then you have to buy them a house. Are you with me? You never get to the end. Bible says, tell your neighbor, you wish you'd have gone to another church this morning. (laughs) No, I think I'm helping you today. You had everything you wanted and Lazarus had nothing. So now he's here being comforted and you're in anguish. Now here's here's the takeaway from this part of the message. We can never help every needy person on the planet. There's, There's, what, 4 billion people that are in great need. But we can help somebody. And this is what I want to tell you. Forget the three billion people. Help somebody. Some kindness in the name of the Lord. My dad was, and, and I were riding around in Mississippi, and 
And there was this lady that was clearly uh, had, had had mental struggles and problems and some kind of palsy almost, and she was just sitting begging at the street sign, and my dad didn't have a second thought. He just pulled out some money, and he, he gave her some money. Now, that's hard to do because there's a lot of uh, charlatans out there at the sign saying, come on, we'll work for food, and if you offer them a job, they'll say, keep going. Are you with me? But 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 helping people. Now, let me get real practical here as we, as we kind of go towards the end. I want to help you with a little bit of a budget, but tell you four things, and there's only four things that I think you can do with money. And the first one is to meet our needs and have some fun. Now, I'm going to teach you in just a minute about God wants you to have fun. But what if you made a little budget and you said about 75 to 80% meeting my needs and having fun, enjoying life? Here's the problem. My needs are ever-growing because there's more. I could spend every dollar that we have on the new catalog for Max Prairie Wings for this duck season. I could spend every dollar that I have. But somehow, I want to live in this 75 or 80%. Look at number two. We need to save some money. I'll talk about that. 10% is a good target. And number three is the big one. This is what frees you. Investing in God's kingdom and helping people in need. If you can give yourself 10 to 15% for that. You say, well, how'd you come up with that number? Well, tithing. The Bible teaches tithing. I, I, my wife and I are tithers. We tithe through our local church, 10%. And the giving comes after that. But those, those kind of numbers, if you would work in some kind of framework like that. Now, let me, let me give you a Bible verses for that about meeting our needs. Matthew 6, 11, Jesus said, give us this day our... Yeah, so every morning you're supposed to pray, God, I need money for the rent. I need money for the mortgage. I need money for the car payment, money for food, and money for the cheerleader outfit. Please help me with that last one. Daily bread. Uh, that's just kind of a no-brainer. But then this enjoying life, now this will be, for some of us, the best scripture of the day. Uh, if you believed in shouting in church, you'd probably shout when I read this. Uh, and it'll be okay. Uh, as for the rich in this present age, us, charge them not to be haughty. Don't be pride, prideful about what you have. Don't set your hope on the uncertainty of riches. Your 403B may take a, 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 a roller coaster ride after the election. But put your hope in God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Say it real loud. Enjoy. Say it one more time. Enjoy. God is the one that wants you to buy duck decoys. Come on, now give the Lord a good hand today. God, and a new pair of waders, by the way. I got some cool waders this year, too. They were on sale, but I got them. Uh, everything. So here's the deal. God wants you to be able to have fun in life. Don't ever feel guilty if you can take your family on a nice vacation. Don't ever feel guilty if you've prayed about it and God releases you to buy a nice vehicle. If you're able to live in a nice house and you've prayed about it, don't ever feel like you have to be apologetic. How many know the Bible says it's the blessing of the Lord that makes rich and adds no sorrow to it? It's the goodness of God, and that is not a bad thing. But let me tell you, friends, that fits in that 75 to 80% category. Look at saving, 10%, the Bi and somewhere in there. The Bible advocates saving and preparing for the future. Proverbs 21 says, uh, the wise store up choice food in olive oil. In other words, the wise person is saving, but fools gulps theirs down. 
The fool doesn't plan for tomorrow. Remember Joseph in the Old Testament in Egypt? Joseph saved seven years. They saved the best produce of the land, seven years. And then after the next seven years, the famine came, and they had enough to take care of everybody. But here's, here's my challenge. I've got to be honest with you. I don't know when the line stops from saving and hoarding begins. How much do you need for retirement? Well, every financial advisor I've ever talked to says more than I got <laughs> and more than I'll ever have. And if you're not careful, that can be a driver that can drive you too far. Again, no simple answers to these. You've just got to be a big boy and a big girl and pray and get the peace of God and do what God says. But look at this last one, and I'm heading to the end. Investing in God's kingdom, helping people in need. I think the most balanced view of money and possessions in all of the Bible is found in two passages in 1 Timothy chapter 6. I don't have time to go over all of it, but I want to read just one verse that fits with today. 1 Timothy 6, 17 says, Teach those who are rich in this world, verse 18, say this with me, to use their money to do good. Well, the question is, and the implication is do good for others. How, what do I do? To do good with my money. Well, he tells us, be rich in good works and be generous to those in need. Always being ready to share with others. What is rich in good works? Rich in good works is helping people. It's advancing the purposes of God on the earth. Uh, it's advancing the ministries of the church. It's helping the poor. It's doing things in the name of Christ. Because look at verse 19. There's a benefit for us in this. If we do that... We'll build a treasury that will last, gaining life that is truly life. Now, the, the sentence construction is a little awkward there, but here's basically what it's saying. As we use our money to do good, helping people and advancing God's work, we're storing treasure in heaven. God watches and God sees, and one day God will reward us. You can't buy your way into heaven. It's not saying that. But it is saying that God sees the good things we do with what he's entrusted us. And there's a blessing for us on the other side. Come on, give the Lord a good hand today. He's worthy of praise. I want to wrap up with this as our, as our band comes back and then we'll pray and dismiss. But uh, Jesus said these words that are tremendously helpful to avoiding this trap that we learned from James. Jesus said, don't store up treasures for yourself on earth where the moss and rust destroys and thieves break in and steal. Look at verse 20. Store your treasure in heaven, where they cannot be destroyed by moths or rust, and thieves can't break in and steal. And then Jesus said this, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Remember the greatest commandment in all the Bible? Love the Lord with all your heart. Well, guess what happens when I put some of my resources into the work of God, into, into helping people of God's creation. My love for God grows. I become more connected to God. And wealth has less and less power to, to trick me in, by greed, by hoarding, and by selfish indulgence. Come on, give the Lord a good hand today. He's worthy of our praise. Why don't you stand to your feet, and we're going to close today. Such an honor to have you with us today. When we dismiss, just a couple things. Don't forget, we use these front exits too, so we've got four. 
Please, uh, when you're moving around and exiting, use your mask and social distance as best you can. If you're a guest, if you're a visitor today, we'd love to give you some info about the church and a little gift, too, by the way. If you go out the table in the lobby, there's someone there. Uh, that census deal. Now, I know your stomach's probably growling, but you'll be okay. If you've not filled out that census, take just a minute. You just, it's a few minutes. Just run the table in the left in the front as you go out. And, of course, Wednesday night, of course, is our, our Connect class if you're new and you want to learn a little bit more about the church. But I, I want to pray with you right now a blessing. I want you to just close your eyes right now. And I, I, I simply want to ask the Lord in his goodness. First of all, we want to say thank you. Could you say that with me? Say, thank you, Lord, for making me rich. I may not be as rich as I want to be, but I'm rich. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for entrusting to me what I have in my life. If you're listening online, I want to encourage you to pray with us too. Lord, I want to ask you for myself and for all my friends today that you would bless us financially, bless our economic world. Bless us, God, if we work, Lord, for someone prosperous. Let us through Christian act and character and, and good work, Lord, let us be promoted, benefits. Lord, let blessing come our way. If we own our business, Lord, let, 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 let new business just overtake us. Because it's the blessing of the Lord, the Bible says, that makes rich and adds no sorrow. And Lord, for all of us, if the devil's trying to tempt us to cross that line with greed, let us to recognize it. If we're tempted to be a hoarder, spend everything on ourselves, let us repent for that. If selfish indulgence is an issue, let us get in the habit of simply starting to pray and ask God before we take that financial step. And we trust the Holy Spirit will guide us. Bless your people today, God. Bless us so we can be a blessing. In Jesus' name. Give the Lord one more good hand today. He's worthy of praise. Let me tell you how we're going to close. Our worship team is going to have one last song, and then they'll dismiss you. But I want our prayer team to come up to the front right now. Uh, they're going to have their mask. But uh, if, you, if you need prayer, personal prayer, you want to talk to somebody about anything, doesn't matter what it is, after church, either during this song or after it's over, you can come up and they'll pray for you. I'd ask you to bring wear your mask if you have one. But I also, prayer team, as you're coming now, I also, and I want you to tune in to me real good on this one. If you're here today and say, Pastor, my greatest need is just to get right with God. Maybe you're here today and say, Pastor, I, I don't know if I died today if I'd go to heaven or hell. But in my heart, I know God is real. I believe in Jesus Christ. And I'm ready to take the step to follow him. See, here's something I learned. I'm so grateful. My mom made me go to church when I was a boy. But going to church doesn't make you a Christian. What makes you a Christian, and I'm going to use the cross as a reference, is you look to the cross of Christ. You look to Jesus. You realize he died on that cross for your sins. It was our sins that separate us from God, and our sins deserve judgment and hell. But Jesus offers a way out. He died so we could be forgiven. He took our place. I learned that in a little country Methodist church. But what I didn't know is the Bible verse that said, as many as received him, to those he gave the right, the privilege, to become sons and daughters of God, even those who would believe on his name. When I was a 
19 year old. It was August 15th, 1976. I was in a Navy boot camp. I was at a place spiritually where I just wanted God in my life. And I prayed that night and I asked the Lord to forgive me, come into my life and save me. And I committed my life to follow Him. It changed my life. Maybe that's you today. Maybe you're here today and you used to walk with the Lord and got away from Him. But today you want to come back. Either of those two, you're here today and say, Pastor, I just want to get right with God today. I want, I want prayers. I want you to come talk to Pastor Cole. Either during this song or after the song, you just come up here and say, I, I, I want to pray to get right with God. He'll tell you. He'll talk to you. Not only pray with you, but he'll give you some things that's going to help you in your journey with Christ. I love you a lot, and I'm so glad you came. Let's sing our last song. And as they're singing, if you want prayer, you come. Let us pray for you. Most importantly, if you need to make that step to Christ, he'll be waiting. I love you.